Eric. I'm Colby. And we still talk comics sometimes. Uh, Want to once again kind of thank everybody who's uh, made the transition. Uh, we've talked about it on a couple of podcasts now. Uh, we've mentioned it on Respawn. Uh, we are no longer affiliated with our good friend Lance and the Night Nerd Network. We wish, uh, of course, no ill will. Uh, it was a friendly parting for everyone involved. But we did want to uh, to expand and kind of go out on our own. Um, so if you were listening to this, thank you for tracking us down uh, and finding us after the, uh, the split. We really appreciate having you here because we have some pretty amazeballs comics to talk about. Before we do, though, I got to tell you, dude, because uh, I kind of mentioned it um, on Facebook a couple weeks ago, but I don't think you saw it. Uh, I found out through just sheer happenstance uh, that among the things I have in my collection is the first appearance of Ambush Bug. Oh, that's a fun find. Yeah, it was totally cool. Like, okay, so I have the uh, the Showcase Presents Ambush Bug collection uh, here next to my um, giant pile of Star Trek books and my giant pile of Stephen King books. And I just happened to flip it open and see that the first issue included is uh, DC Comics Presents Superman and the new Doom Patrol. And I was oh. like, wait, I think – I have that book because I bought it because Doom Patrol, you know, yeah. uh, I know you are a far bigger Doom Patrol fan than I, but that's still a, a name that usually yeah. if I can find a, a cheap book of, of like something, especially something like a DC Comics Presents with the Superman uh, team up angle, I was like, hell yeah, I'll definitely buy that. And I flew through my collection and sure enough, it's the first appearance of Ambush Buck. He's one of the two villains uh, that uh, Superman and the Doom Patrol fight. And uh, it's, it's like a $5 book. It's not worth, you know, a red cent, but just holy shit, that was fun as hell. Like, could not believe that was so cool that is awesome i i noticed there we have very different books that are laying beside us because <laughs> i looked over you said oh star trek and stephen king i was like i have a a halo book a chris jericho book and a book uh called homo ludens about the how uh, the importance of the element of playing culture um to be fair i would love a copy of that chris jericho book you told me about book. it and it sounds Ball's awesome. It's a great book. It's a. It's. I. I. I don't know why. I'm much better about reading nonfiction books for the most part. Uh, where, but I hate slice of life comics and stuff like that. But I was just talking about Daniel from Dangerous Humans. Plug plug uh, about this. And uh, yeah, I don't know why. I'm not good at slice of life. Slice of life or just everyday life. Uh, comics. See, that's so funny because I'm kind of the opposite. I unless it's um like. Uh, heavily into you know something about uh, film that I really love yeah. or you know something like that. I'm not very good at reading nonfiction, but one of my all-time favorite comic series is Giant Days, which is yeah. you know, three girls navigating college. And also, you know, when I um, I don't read a lot of manga, but a lot of the manga I do read is like I fucking adore Love Hina. That's my I... that's my favorite manga. Whereas I can't read like you know I, I, I don't really get into uh, Giant Met manga yeah. or something like that. I. See, I like the same guy. I do like Slice of Life, but the Slice of Life I like are just, you know, they have a really weird life. Oh, that's fair. Uh, that's actually a, that's good. Uh, but I do love Mech. I can't say I don't love Mech. One of the books that we've talked about today is all about Mechs. So that will, uh, that will happen, which we should mention. I think today will be primarily, if not entirely, actually comics-based. I was going to say, do we have any news, like pressing news we really want to get into? Not because really. I know we definitely have top, top comics we want to talk about. And then I have some kind of tangential 
retailer news relating to a comic I want to talk about. But yeah. as far as like media news, there's I really don't feel like there's just a ton to, to really. go into. I mean, look, we, we've talked about our feelings of uh, Jared Leto Joker to death. We've <laughs> talked about our feelings on uh, Snyder Cut to death. Uh, we, we, to sum up both, if you're new here, for one, thank you to be here. If not, <laughs> we think they, uh, we, we like elements and hate other elements. We're not, we are not completely in love or completely in hate on either direction. I, even though I do love Jared Leto as I think Joker. You're, you're still far kinder. You're still yeah. far kinder to both of them than I am. Oh, yeah. Um, I will say, apparently Oscar Isaac is going to be Moon Knight, and that's pretty oh, exciting. Oh, yeah. That's true. Uh, apparently, the dude, Jojo, whatever his name is, is also supposed to be coming back for Snyder Cut is desperate for a bigger role, too. That's fine. Uh, what else do we have? We had, uh, oh, uh, they showed off the the Red Hood costume for Titan Season 3 and the Batwoman costume. They are both. I didn't see the Red Hood costume. I like the Batwoman costume. It was the Batwoman costume. I mean, they didn't really I was about it. to say, for me, both of like, they are indeed those characters. Mm-hmm. Neither are like. Neither blew me away, but neither were bad either. They're they're both fine. I, I both my main my main problem with both of them are I didn't like Batwoman season one and I didn't like Titan season one or two. And I love the character Red Hood. I love Batwoman, so I hope they turn that around. Yeah, I uh, I quit um, Titans uh, four episodes in. I think I quit Batwoman roughly the same four or yeah. five episodes in. They're not a. There's a lot of good in those in those characters. Not a lot of good in those shows. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially when you compare it to something like Doom Patrol, which, with the exception of its uh, truncated finale in Season 2, was fucking spectacular. Yeah, in a world of Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing, Flash, Arrow, Constantine... Fucking Legends of Tomorrow, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, the Harley Quinn animated show... Mm -hmm. Which got so much better than I initially gave it credit for. It's so good. Uh, the, even the Watchmen TV show, which again was a million times better, had any right to ever be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, these are not the. This for characters that I love and adore so much, like Batwoman and Red Hood, are two of my favorite characters in all of Gotham. I do not uh, sadly love their shows as much as I wish I did. Yeah, and I think that's uh, entirely fair. As someone who grew up, you know. With the uh, uh, Wolfman Perez team tie. Yeah. And uh, has a, a nice, oversized, hardcover collection of Elegy. So. Uh, uh, yeah, no, no, no. I. Uh, yeah, especially Red Hood is hard for me because I love, as you know, Red Hood, one of my all time favorite characters. And uh, I want to be more excited for it, but it's to the point where him just appearing in a show, kind of like Hush and Gotham, I may love the characters. But just because they appeared in the show don't mean I have to see it. That's true. That's absolutely true. I'm discovering Red Hood, um, much bigger fan base than I realized. Oh, yeah, he's, he's gotten, he has gotten massive. <laughs> so before we get into, I'm trying to think of how to present this. There's a lot of great comics to talk about. A lot. Yeah, absolutely. Do you oh my god. Oh, oh, oh. I have to say this because it's such delicious irony because we had an off mic conversation about how I read the first two issues of the book <laughs> you're about to talk about and I was like, this book sucks. And you're like, I don't think it sucks. It has problems. It has flaws. But 
but I don't think it sucks. I'm really curious where it's going. And now you texted me and you're like, don't read the third issue. Don't. So please, I'm sorry, I had to interrupt. Please yeah. continue. So I'm glad you said that. So people won't call me someone who's just a hater on this ship. Mm. I wanted three jokers to break the mold and be a great book with a great purpose. First two issues, I didn't think they really lived up to it, but also the art is godly. Uh, the, st- the story is written in a fashion that would get a solid C plus or B if you're just looking at the writing technique. It is all grammatically correct. It is all in the correct order, and it tells a story. The problem is, well, the problem is three. This story is a snake that ate itself because there is no fucking point in the story and I'm going to warn right now, I try my best to avoid spoilers. I don't give a shit about this because I don't think anyone should buy this book. And I'm sorry to say I'm going to go ahead and say, even though I haven't read it, and normally I am the most spoiler-averse motherfucker on the planet, I cannot wait to hear you spoil the shit out of this book. So, I really can uh, so spoiler warning because this is where we get straight Full spoilers. Spoiler tags on, and that's uh, going to go throughout the episode because we're going to talk about oh, yeah. a few other comics this week that are definitely going to have spoilers. So if you haven't read comics that came out this week, uh, including uh, TMNT: The Last Ronin, uh, the most recent books in the X Men series, uh, etc., um, maybe go ahead and turn this podcast off until you <laughs> have read those books because we are going to spoil the shit out of like, oh, yeah. literally everything that came out this week. Yeah. Uh, where do I start with this? So. The book itself does not have a meaning. And by does not have a meaning, I don't mean, oh, I don't like what it says. I mean, it doesn't have a meaning. They kill off uh, every Joker except for one. I'll tell you that from the beginning. Uh, uh, The clown. And it also, they also have a thing where the clown, they make him more like the Snyder Joker. Because they have, at the beginning of the book, they have these flashbacks to, oh, this one is like, reminds me of who I faced in the beginning of my career for the criminal this one reminds me of who I face here, and they have a flashback, like clearly homaging famous scenes. And the scene it for the clown is a clear homage to the Capullo Snyder in game fight. Well, I'm like, mm. interesting, but the clown hasn't acted like that to this point, so whatever. No, not at all. Uh, the clown being the killing joke, Joker. Mm. Uh, I should definitely uh, preface that. It's a killing joke one. They don't reveal why there's three Jokers. I'm going to tell you that right now. They don't reveal why. They, they, they don't say like how they created one or why there is more. They were trying to make a joke uh, one. They tried to make Joe Chill into a new Joker because that would be a Joker that had meaning and a Joker that had a backstory and a Joker that had an identity. So just chaos. Uh, the other Joker kill the clown Joker kills uh, the criminal Joker because he wants there to just be chaos and everything. I will say everything in the book involving Joe Chill is surprisingly great. Now let me ask: Does this mean that one of or two of those Jokers knew that Joe Kill Chill? Killing Thomas and Martha Wayne created Batman because I feel like if you yes. don't know that Joe Chill doesn't make oh for sure it's de- I would say for sure they know that okay for sure. what reflection does that have so, on Batman that his greatest enemy knows his uh, identity especially because oh, Snyder well, already played with that yeah. in Death of the Family we're getting into this in a bit more but uh, Joe Chill I w- I will g- again I want to give this a positive the Joe stuff is really good how it handles the Joe Chill stuff is in prison it's revealed that he has been. Trying since he was admitted has been trying to write letters to Bruce Wayne the entire time he's been incarcerated. He seems to truly be a changed man. Batman finds this stack of letters that he has been trying to write. He you know didn't finish school. He doesn't write extremely well. It's his biggest regret in life. His biggest remorse. He he went there to kill Thomas and Martha, but he didn't know Bruce was going to be there. 
He then, after they killed him, he found all the good they had done for the city, where he had thought that they were the plague and the parasites of the city, and had learned they were actually trying to help the city grow, and he has lived with regret and remorse ever since. Batman makes a decision in the book at one point to save him from being turned into a Joker. He saves him again. He shakes his hand. And, and as Bruce Wayne, later on, he goes to a hospital bed as he's dying and holds his hand as he dies and goes to his grave to mourn him. That part... Okay, so the Joe Chill stuff you're talking about, that sounds kind of like a reflection of what they played with in the, uh, the Joker film that came out last year. A little year. bit. Although I will say it's handled extremely well. It's handled... It's Bruce Wayne finally completely forgiving Joe Chill. It's him letting go of that. That part's great. Here's where it gets really fucked up as far as the story. Because the story is built on a twist ending that I don't see anyone point out makes no goddamn sense. So, Derek, what started? How did, how did the three Jokers start? What was the first way that this book started? Well, if you're talking about the mention of the three Jokers, that was in Dark Side War, yes. which was written by Jeff Johns. Now, the thing about the three Jokers, though, is that it is very clearly wanting to be a sequel to the Killing Joke. So, are you asking, was it what was the initial mention of the three Jokers, or yeah, no. was the initial? Well, specifically, okay. specifically, how did he find out there were three Jokers? Oh, the Mobius chair. Yes. What What did he ask the Mobius chair? What is the Joker's name? And the Mobius chair said, there's three of them. Yes. Now, here's the problem, because revealed in this one, that he's Batman. So, of course, when there's one Joker left, he knows that Joker's identity. Wait, what? Yes. He already knew that identity of that Joker. He's Batman. Batman knows that. Uh, that ba- basically, the li- basically, the line reveals is, as I hate to sound cliche, but I'm Batman. I've known his identity since the day after we first fought. Something along those lines. It is in reveal. And, 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 and you're talking about the, so, so it's going to be the, the, clown. be the clowns I did specifically. Yes. But here it goes okay. again. If he knew, if he didn't think there were three Jokers, and he knew who the one Joker he knew of identity was, why the fuck did he ask why the Mobius he? chair to begin with? Mm-hmm. What is the point of the series? There is no point of the series. Mm-hmm. He then uh, reveals he has a bigger secret. And here's the problem. The secret here is like, I could see how this is a more intriguing thing. But it ends on another cliffhanger of another idea of a story, which probably won't ever get touched. If it does, I don't want to see Jeff Johns do it. It is revealed that Bruce Wayne, uh, in secret, kept the fact that in the killing joke, the Joker's family, the son and the pregnant wife and born son, are in fact still alive. And Joker does not know about them, uh, but Bruce Wayne has relocated them to a secret area. Uh, okay, 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 okay. I, I'm sorry. I have to. I have yes. to process this. Hold on. Hold on. Yes. I'm sorry to cut you off. I have to. Okay. So on paper, I can see how that could potentially be a good idea, and how it could actually fit yeah. into the Killing Joke. Here's the problem. Too much time thinking about the Killing Joke. And are like, okay, if the if the two guys sent those cops to tell um, nameless guy, comedian guy that his family was dead and he never actually went back home to see that happen and immediately went out to do the Red Hood thing that night and it's all set up, sure, that is a story element that could potentially maybe make sense. But oh my god. Here's the thing again though. Yeah, this, this Joker's whole point is that, oh, there needs to be chaos and stuff. 
However, Batman knows that we all know the origin of the Killing Joke Joker. So that's the one Joker we know the origin of. So that alone already makes that whole thing fucking pointless. Right. We then also, I should mention that that is only the last few pages of the book. The majority of this book is Batman, Batgirl, and Red Hood going to this theater to confront the two main Jokers and everything else happening. Uh, there's also a thing with Red Hood, and this also is just handled so sloppily. And I get on paper where maybe he thought it would be this majestic moment where Jason Todd writes this big letter about how he, th- you know, them kissing wasn't a mistake and how he can change, he can leave Red Hood behind. He wants to be with her and he wants to do all this and she just has to get back to him. And if she doesn't get back to him, he understands and he can keep going on life and won't bother her anymore. And he tapes the letter to the door, but of course, within seconds it appears of him walking away, the letter just falls to the floor and is swept up by a janitor. Mm. And it, so it's, again, just a stupid thing. I will say another bright spot. Yeah, that's lame as fuck. It's the best Red Hood has been drawn or written in a very long time. So that's, yeah, well, just because Jason Fabok is probably yeah. the best Batman artist of the 2010s, yeah. like of the last 10 years. Um, and I know you, I know yeah. we're both huge, huge, huge Capullo fans. I was about to say, I would argue um, someone else, but... I, I fucking love Jason Fabok's Batman. He's great. He's great. Again, he would probably he'd be in my top five. Cause I, I would put Capullo and possibly Jacques over him, but that's... That's about That's it. I, I, I love Capullo as a stylist. Yeah. I think he's a tremendous artist. But, but as, as, if we're talking about Batman artists of the last 10 years, I'm sorry, dude. I'm going to put Faybuck above him. I would begin. Faybuck, I can see I can see that. I, I think for quality and quantity, I'd still like Capullo just because Faybuck? You know, I mean, that's fair. I'm, I'm sure point, I'm about to get roasted in the comments. I, like, I, I feel like... <laughs> the problem is Faybuck being so close to John's. Sadly, most of what his Batman has been attached to hasn't been defined in the best ways. Well, he also did that run by the the guy uh, John Layman, the guy that wrote uh, um, Chew. He he drew those issues, and I love that run. I love John Layman's Batman run. I wish he'd gotten to do more of it. It was like dark Batman the animated series drawn by Jason Fabok. It was I great. Remember, I loved it. <laughs> I remember that existing, but I don't remember it much. Nobody does. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, I, I think I was legit the only fan. Also, you know, take, take all this with a grain of salt because I also think Tony Daniels is a fucking fantastic Batman artist. Oh, no, I do think Tony Daniels is great. I think he's he might be up there with Jim Lee to me and like as far as defining the look of Batman for like 2005 to mm-hmm. 11, somewhere around 2011, somewhere around there. Like he, there. I mean, as as shit as Battle for the Cow was. Oh, but it's pretty goddamn book. Yeah, it's a beautiful pretty, book. Pretty, pretty, pretty. Uh, yeah, no. Okay. So three Jokers just it has no point. It's built on what is now a contradiction because again, if he knows the identity of one Joker but didn't know there are three Jokers, it makes no sense for him to ask the chair. Why would he have asked that question first? Well, yeah, yeah, why would he have asked that question? They don't ever really explain how there is three Jokers. Right. Like, there's never an explanation how. There's there, never. There, the, the two issues I read, there's definitely hints that there is, the Joker has made other Jokers yeah, before. The, but it also doesn't make any sense to me, going back to something you said, that they're hinting that the clown Joker is also the Capullo Snyder Joker, who is the more modern Joker. Again, they're completely skipping the, one, the Grant Morrison resurrection Joker. Yeah, there's one line about the criminal Joker regrets making me or maybe I regret making him. Right, and that also again that ties into something that happened in issue two, which felt like I it felt like it was trying to build towards something and absolutely failed, yeah. which was the clown Joker, so the one it, that gets shot in the first issue, 
is is so it's, completely. It, it is but, a it is a much worse version of what Snyder tried to do with the Pell Man idea of Joker. Mm-hmm. I much because they hint several times that oh maybe the Which class is also not a great idea. I'm so sorry. Oh, I, I liked it, but again, it was handled in a way where it was never set in stone. It was never like maybe he had this eternal demon monster thing. Maybe he's not. However, this is the same thing because it's constantly hinted that maybe the clown invented or did everything. But if he did everything again, why are there two other jokers? Why did it is all just a weird play for power that he's trying to do right now for some reason? It's all, but mm-hmm. but to me, it ties back to Joker can't fool the fucking Mobius chair. Like, right, you are expect like now we're expected to believe that Joker not only in the Mobius chair somehow accidentally worked together by and also and if there again if he was making several Jokers and there had been several wouldn't he have said there like a crazier number more than three there was also he had a pool full of them at one time in this book that seemed like they had been there for a while there had been right which which has never been his mo before anytime you've seen a pool full of, of people jokerized it was never with the with the implied intention that the joker was trying to make more jokers so we should, that that's how the joker killed people we <laughs> should mention so uh, i said the Snyder story a lot of people haven't had it. the pell man during uh death of the family it was, there were a lot of backstory and hints that it was a possibility that joker was a creature kind of similar to that of it in stephen king and stephen king's it. right as this demon that has, well, also has existed. Also reflecting the um, uh, Doctor Hurt, yes. I think. Yes, uh, this creature that has existed throughout time. It's never completely confirmed, never completely denied, and it's kind of this running thing in the background. However, again, like Derek mentioned, not a not one of Snyder's more popular ideas, but it was also at least an intrigue, much like his Victor Freeze idea, an intriguing enough idea to where pretty much everyone at least said, "Huh." I haven't seen that before. I don't know if I like it, but that's a different mm-hmm. take. I definitely think most people have forgotten his his Mr. Freeze take. I, I feel like that well, I think, that was in that's, that was the take in Batman Eternal. They still had it, but I think it's I don't just know. Been I think it was the annual. Forgotten. I think it was actually an annual. Well, yeah, that's what, it was. Batman Annual Number One was his Mr. Freeze take. Oh and yeah. Then the, but what I'm saying is it with that that they were still going with that idea oh. uh, in Batman Eternal. I feel like when I read it recently, I felt like okay, they're, oh, they're yeah, still yeah. playing with with Snyder's conception. I, but I think it's been kind of quietly just removed yeah. from continuity that that was the case. It's one of those things where I I, pro- I honestly think it's more than likely because how just how DC especially was at the time that having a fundamentally changing of a character like that mm-hmm. would be have these weird, you know, it's that weird thing DC and Marvel always are afraid of. We're like, oh, well, this will make the previous good selling books bad. Like, no. Right. It doesn't do that. People will like it or hate it. If it, if it succeeds, it'll be great. If not, again, people will just move past it. Yeah. And, and I, I definitely think that's, for people who don't know what we're talking about, um, in the first Batman annual, in the first year of the New 52, uh, Scott Snyder wrote a story that revealed that uh, Nora Freeze was not Victor's wife, but in fact, just some hot blonde chick in an ice cube that Victor fell in love with and his um, mental illness concocted this entire like relationship that he never actually had. Yeah. I will say um, – if you are wanting to be a writer, it is a great example of subverting expectation. Because yeah, that's fair. how that book is written is purposely written where the first half is all the most generic. We know this is this is a Mr. Free story. We know all this. And it has like halfway through that revelation. And you're like, what? what? Yeah, it's a um, it's an interesting thing. I want to say All-Star Batman, which was um, 
a Snyder project, <laughs> there was an issue of Ends of the Earth where he confronts Mr. Freeze, and I want to say even in, even by yeah. that point, um, the the new Freeze story had been just quietly dropped. Yeah, it's been a minute since I've read that, but I, you were probably right. Uh, all, well, speaking of that, I think Three Jokers will probably be completely dropped. There is... Knowing it's sold like a motherfucker. No, yeah, knowing that this is officially basically the the last true story of Rebirth. Mm-hmm. It is bizarre that Jeff Johns started Rebirth at the maybe the highest high he has ever done, and he's had or some pretty least, highs. You know, reaching the highs of his uh, his Green Lantern, his initial Green Lantern work. Yeah, but I mean, doing, I mean, he pulled off making Dr. Manhattan in a DC book and not pissing off everyone. That alone is something that is sad. He also, it's also weird because Doomsday Clock, his last book, he did a semi miracle by having something that started off really slow and plotting and ended up being a book that a lot of people really love. Some people don't, don't like. Some people think it's uh, just whatever. But again, it was, it never felt like it was completely pointless or completely un completely fan fiction to a degree that this feels kind of like a three jokers or a killing joke fan fiction gone amok it is weird it's not there's no point to it it's three issues and there is no point to it it i think i I think batmannews.com had a great thing where it's like this is a just kind of decent bland batman story masquerading as a classic And it is that. It looks like a classic. It feels like a classic, but the content inside is not. And I feel like, I mean, I'm sure I could get proven wrong, but I feel like history is going to bear that out as much as, yeah, you know, know. The, killing, the Killing Joke has never really been out of print. Yeah. As much as, you know, I can look at my shelf and probably point out five or six Batman stories that are never really going to go out of print. Um, oh, I yeah. feel like Three Jokers... Uh, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna lose the zeitgeist. You know, also, I think it's gonna. Yeah, the timing when you you've had metal, you've had death metal, you've had. We just got over uh, the Joker War. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of Joker stuff that's happened. Right now, the timing doesn't really seem to fit well. The well, I mean, it's been delayed several times, right? I'm yeah, and there's no point to it. There's just no point. Like there is no. There's nothing that happens in this book that affects anything else. It it feels like a weird Elseworlds tale that just makes no sense. It feels it is it is essentially a Killing Joke sequel, but not but a very vague one. Where at least Doomsday Clock had the balls to be a Watchmen sequel. Yeah, this, see that was actually when I started hearing because um, I started hearing reviews of, of Three Jokers last week. Just spoiler free reviews. I mean, nobody wanted to break an embargo, but. They were they were saying that it had a new angle on Killing Joke, or at least an angle that it felt like. Uh, again, uh, something I kind of stole earlier that Jeff Johns has spent a lot of time thinking about Killing Joke and drew some wrong conclusions. I really thought it was going to have something to do with the idea that Batman possibly murdered the Joker on the rooftop at the end of Killing Joke, which you know is a big at least that would that, uh, exp- Morrison had, had uh, promoted, and it has it. And that is not even apparently acknowledged in this issue. No. At least that would have explained something to the core idea of why there are three Jokers. Mm-hmm. No, instead he leans on yet another cliffhanger that will go elsewhere. And I know people are probably like, oh, but you could say this foreshadowing because earlier in issue one or two, he, or two, he sits down 
with the family of mannequins and he wants his family and blah blah blah. No, just because. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Just because there's one foreshadowing scene doesn't make a twist ending that doesn't matter make it better. Like again, had had this story been what happens instead of three Jokers, I probably been okay with that. Had this been a straight up Killing Joke sequel and we found out that Batman had hidden away that family, then you know what? I I don't care because people also I. I feel like they're all younger fans, and I know I can be classified as younger fans in some regards, but I mean people who are very new to comics who say, oh, well, this makes Killing Joke canon, and I don't know how I feel about that. Like, fuckers, Oracle was canon for several, 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 several years. Mm-hmm. Like, Killing Joke's been canon. Yeah, that's, that's not that's, new. That's the unfortunate thing about Killing Joke. Yeah, it wasn't it was, meant was to that be. It was never intended to be, and then it, it became canon in the 90s. Should mention. Side note, I've been reading Alan Moore's Providence, uh, and they're doing a Kickstarter for that book. Uh, to not, uh, not to finish it, but to have it collected in a big edition for the first time. I think one edition is a signed Alan Moore thing, although I think I might have a lead on a different Alan Moore signed thing, which that's all substory. But I was going to say, Providence is one of the later Alan Moore works. It's like 2015 to 17. Yeah, really, really good. Very Lovecraft. I remember man. hearing good things about it. I haven't read it. I still need to finish uh, *League of Extraordinary Gentlemen*. I have a uh, century to read, and then also I need to buy the collection of his last *League* story. So it's, I need to get caught up on that. It is a shame, Speaking. Alan Moore. Uh, he has a George Lucas problem. If he made something too big, had he not mm-hmm. had *Watchmen* and *Killing Joke* not taken off the way they did, mm-hmm. we it's sad to think who we could have gotten because. There's so many. Well, you say that, and even then, Miracle Man, Marvel Man, and Swamp Thing before it were also, you know, completely destroying readers' brains. Oh, in the they early were, 90s. but they were like that Grant Morrison level of very high success. But they didn't break so much in the mainstream that people saw the name and only thought of one of three books. Okay, that's fair. Whereas now it's like if people talked about him, they only talk about Watchmen, uh, Killing Joke, or V. I was going to say V for Vendetta, and the reason people bring V for Vendetta into that conversation is because of the film, let's be honest. It's because of the film and the Occupy Wall Street and anonymous movements. It's very rarely because of the actual comic, and it's a great comic. It's Uh, a good book. Yeah, to be – and it's sad. It may be an anarchist for like two months. (laughs) And to to be frank, like, man, there's a lot of – I just say it's because if you're going to copy Alan Moore, there's a lot of great Alan Moore to copy that people haven't touched. Go do something like From Hell. Go do something like Providence. Go do something like Miracle Man. Go do something like Top Ten. Go do something like... There's a, a plethora uh, Tom of... Tom Strong. Tom Strong. Uh, small Killings. Uh, he, it's Almore. He's got, he's got such a shit ton great uh, wealth of incredible works that it's sad that it gets overlooked and boiled down to two books that are admittedly great. Yes, Watchmen the redefine the entire comic genre. It is it has it lives up to a lot of the hype it gets. Killing Joke extremely controversial, extremely divisive, but it has its place in history and has made and has made an undeniable mark in the history of comics as well. But yeah. there's more I to it. I will say um, one of one of my great regrets about um, having done the the several 
podcast uh, jumps that we've done in the last few years. Oh, by the way, um, I wanted to mention we, we have kind of a strange anniversary uh, today in Ooh. that this is also the week that Sex Criminals number 69 came out, which is the final is- issue of Sex Criminals. Oh. And we re- recorded the very first episode of Blah Blah Comics, Blah Blah Curse Words, the week Sex Criminals number one came out. Really? I did not know. I'm glad you saying on. I'm going to write that down because I did not know that. It's a good way to age the podcast really quick because I, uh, yeah, we've been horrible about because keeping I, because that. Because I, I, I made a terrible name drop to that book because I was so enamored with the first issue uh, and you hadn't had a chance to read it yet. So even though we were talking about something totally different, I, I made an awkward sex criminals uh, comic book name drop. And I remember always feeling awkward about that. But it also, like you said, it's a great way to gauge the, uh, the how long we've been recording this podcast. Um, Anyway, wow, yeah. one of the great th- one of the things that I really regret about how much how much bouncing around we did, especially in the early years, we once had a four hour podcast, a good two and a half of which was spent really dissecting and uh, autopsying, uh, killing joke and its relationship to fans and its relationship to comics and uh, its relationship to Alan Moore, its relationship to women. And admittedly, that was a podcast where we recorded up till like two in the morning. Because, yeah. And I'm sure a lot of it was rambly, but still there was a, there was some really good, I feel like comics criticism and critique in there that uh, will be forever lost to time. Unless because uh, we didn't, uh, unless an earlier, an early listener downloaded that and has it. And if you do, get in contact with us. We would uh, we love to post it. For that. Yeah, uh, we have a couple of early episodes that were just lost to sands of time from different RSS feeds and different uh, social media outlets that were posted on and no longer either no longer exist or don't use or etc. Yeah, no, there's a couple of those uh, episodes that just got lost, to, and uh, we'd love to. Yeah, no, that was one. We've had a couple of two parters like that that went on. And when we say two parters, it's you know we. Uh, We've gotten more brazen every now and then posting a three or four hour episode, but they weren't short parts. I know that. Yeah. I want to say that one actually got released in its full glory. And then there was also that one time where I went on a a diatribe about how the enemy in Grant Morrison comics is the concept of entropy Mm -hmm. and how Morrison believes that superheroes are the only thing that can truly fight the idea of entropy. And then that got edited out to be put into a second part of the the, uh, two-part episode, and then the second part never got released. Yeah, those early days, you guys, you guys listening are probably glad you weren't there because they were wild and not always for the best reasons. They were, uh, yeah, living. we were we were young, er, and uh, did not know what we were doing. We, yeah, we, we were, learned a lot. We were sure. seven years younger, apparently. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, seven years, but those early years were hard to do because they were they were very random and very intermittent on when an episode came out. It's true. Like, I think we, because we were once a month for a little while, and then it was like once every other month, and then it was once a week, and then it was. Yeah. And then it was like four in a year. Yeah, we had, we had one or two years. It wasn't great. Uh, yeah, one or two years, it got bad. Um, that's why I, I, I'd really love to have an episode count. And I know for a while there, you actually had a pretty good count. Yeah. Um, we cracked 200. I know that. Yeah, no, we had episode, we had episode 200, and we had. We may even had episode. I have to look through my notes because I have it down somewhere. Yeah, we've had episode two hundred, and depends. It's, we're like it, it's a stereotypical reboot relaunch problem of I don't know what number one yep. we're at. This is technically number two of like mm-hmm. the third or fourth generation of blah blah. 
Uh, third. Yeah. We're on episode two of Blah, technically Blah Blah Volume 3. Yeah, I said yeah. two at the top of this show. But if you want to count the Night Nerd as its own separate relaunch, um, then as, as we should, it was our new 52. Yeah. Um, then uh, this is definitely Blah Blah Comics Volume 3, episode two. For sure. Uh, yeah, I don't Speaking of, I don't know if I want to just keep ranting on three jokers. It's not good. I want to rant about a comic. I want to rant about. Yeah, no, there's a lot of great comics to rant about this week. I we can we can dive over that. What would you like the next topic to be? So let's talk about another oversized book that costs more than your average comic that uh, had some interesting release issues and also has a major spoiler that I'm about to give away. Um, finally. After literal months of waiting because I got spoiled on the concept of this by both Lance and Kevin Eastman when I went to see him at a con. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, story by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird came out this week. Yes, I I actually read this one as well. I'm so glad you did because I really want to talk about it. Um, So let's go ahead and get the big spoiler out of the way. Uh, The the last surviving turtle is the turtle that you would never have expected. I mean, let's be totally honest. Is it though? Like, so this is my thing. It it ends in a question mark, and so I was wondering, could that possibly mean that they're not sure which turtle? Well, I I think she's just asking him a question. Is the thing. Um, Oh. you don't see him using his signature weapons that's for sure but and you do the, the thing that really threw me is that there is a, a one turtle that talks a lot more like because okay so one of the conceits of the book is um the the last ronin is haunted by his three brothers they they uh, kind of talk off screen and he kind of they kind of live behind him and around him and he's he's like constantly talking to them in kind of a spirit form, probably more of like a, a mental thing than an actual spirit. Thing. I know oh, I had a has been established sli- a slight sidebar. There was one page right before that reveal where I had a different interpretation, but I don't think it's it. Cause it right after it goes never area when they went to like this weird thing where they were all not wearing masks inside of his brain, like having a hallucination mm-hmm. for a moment. Yeah. I went to Grant Morris. It's like, Oh, maybe the, they're all three inhabiting the same body and they're just taking over at different moments. And I was, oh, no, okay. that, I was like, I don't think that's it at all anymore. But I was like, that's no, that's, that's, that's way too Morrisony. No, it's a, who were you talking? Who were you just talking to, Michelangelo? She's asking him who he was talking to. Oh, so no, it was definitely, yeah. No, oh, well, definitely Michelangelo is the uh, the last Ronin. Oh, see, I thought there was a comma there because I'm I must miss her. I thought it was who are you talking to, Michelangelo? Like oh, that is definitely a way to process it, but I don't think that is what they're doing. Oh. I 100% believe you on that. I I know you are probably one thousand. That's how I read it, but that's also. Oh, I, I do think it's interesting though how they faked this out because the back cover is red with a giant R. Yeah, I, I kind of I, I just assume the other covers are going to be like purple with a giant. Oh, uh, we should blue with a giant L. Let's get that out of the way right now. The cover shit's ridiculous. I when I turned okay. out that last page and there were four pages of variants, I was like, okay, come on now, guys, come on. Now. But I want to address that because I did not realize until I bought this comic because, okay, last week before the comic even came out, I got an email from my comic store saying uh, that due to uh, overwhelming demand, if you had um, reserved a copy of Last Ronin, you were going to have to pay for it in advance. So I did. Let's put my credit card information in. I trust my LCS. No biggie. 
they uh, the the copies that the store had on hand for the first issue, regular cover, were double cover price with uh, no credit, no exceptions. And the reason for that, I found out from my retailer, is um, IDW printed the, the issues before they got final orders from retailers. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so they ended up shorting retailers nationwide. And then having found that out, having learned that nobody got the comic, the, the amount of comics that they had ordered, you know, pre-ordered for their stores, and then turning to see that they had the audacity to do 40 or 50 variant covers, including yeah. apparently a 1 in 100 variant that is um, tearing up the uh, collector's uh, charts right now. I was fucking furious. Yeah, apparently this is what they've been doing for over a year. Uh, uh, the guy at Star was saying um, they they are not fill, they are not adequately filling orders on their books. That's so funny. So because they're, I, they're cre- I was gonna say I, uh, I I got a second uh, I got a, a second printing without even uh, thinking about it because I had a I didn't order it late. They haven't. They- they haven't put in second prints yet. Second prints aren't coming out until December. So if you got oh, a physical copy, you got a first print. Well, I well, so I have no clue uh, what I have. I know because I I bought the digital, or I, pre- I think I pre-ordered the digital, but then they kept changing and kept changing. And at some point in time, when I was like pre-ordering stuff, I was I think it was the new Spawn, uh, who I pre-ordered through. They had a thing about that, and I also clicked the pre-order. And I got an email kind of similar of like, oh, we you know due to uh, overwhelming demand. We're going in which order you ordered it. So, unfortunately, if you ordered it after this date, uh, you will still be getting the book, but you'll be in a discounted price for the second printing of the book. So, I got like a $2 refund or something. I'm like, oh, that's cool, whatever. Uh, and didn't think about it. But it's crazy because a lot of places are already like, you know, and maybe this is why, because I didn't realize they were bad about shorting, because I saw a lot of places weren't taking pre orders for the second print anymore, even because. Uh, I know a star star is currently taking pre-orders for the second printing, which is expected in shops in December. Yeah. So, so that, I don't know. That would make sense. though if they were shorting people, people like, okay, we're going to go what they, we know they'll send us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't know that, that is where you talk to get weird. If you're literally artificially inflating the bubble because you have a book that people are excited about, have a book that people want. And now not only, cause one thing, if you don't make enough, another thing, if you're actually shorting, because you know, at a comic for people who don't know, if you pre, you know, if your comic shop, if you go to your comic shop and say, "Oh, I want pre order book," and it's before the final order cutoff date, and they're still not meeting that level, that's fucked up. Yeah, like I said, they they had printed copies before the final order cutoff, before they got their the that's, final orders. That's from, weird too, because when when they stores. announced it, they knew it was going to be popular. Like people were going crazy. Even me, who I own the <laughs> the only TMNT book I own right now is I have this uh, a. Either I'll find out when it gets there which printing it is, but uh, I have a printing of this coming at some point, and then I have Body Count in deluxe hardcover. <laughs> which weirdly, this kind of gave me some Body Count vibes. It did. It's, it's so you know future tech and uh, playing a lot with those ideas. Uh, but yeah, getting back to IDW, I also wanted to uh, talk about. Um, 
something else that was mentioned by my LCS, and I don't know if I'm telling tales out of school, probably not. This, should, this is public information because they are a publicly traded company. But when IDW first went on the market as a publicly traded company, they were trading at $30 to $40 a share. They're currently trading at 3 to $4 a share. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And this is a company whose almost entire output is licensed material. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Transformers, G.I. Joe, My Little Pony. Almost their entire output is 80s nostalgia. And if they're not making money off of that market, yeah, I, so I, I, I don't know what to say. I will say before, no, and, we'll, and we'll get to the good because they're the good. Because we should, we'll say this book's fucking amazing. Oh, the, the actual but book is fantastic. To keep on that track, uh, we haven't talked much about Future State. We'll make, we'll probably talk more about it later. But Future State, we're both very excited it's happening. We're both, I know I'm much more enthralled in actually buying it. Although, how they're releasing it, it's interesting because, like you, even if you buy one book, you're getting four books. So, right. Uh, you'll still be ca- keeping up. Yeah, I, I'm very excited about. Uh, a lot of things and how certain people are releasing new books. I think there's a lot of interesting shit. The way that Razorblade is coming out, the way that Donnie Cates just dropped his new book, uh, the one the one you feed, the way that a lot of people are handling books I'm very excited about, and it is really sad to see such an antiquated and old and archaic way that IDW's handling a release of their most looked forward to book since the early nineties, I would say. Like this is a this is the most I've heard about IDW. In my entire life, reading this, comics. This should, this should, this should have easily been, and I don't know. It may still be. This should have easily been. Um, considering Batman Three Jokers number three and not number one, probably the best-selling book of October because it's an eight ninety nine price point. Uh, this should be one of the biggest-selling books of the year. This is probably. This should be. Again, probably still can be, um, but should definitely be the the biggest selling book of IDW's year. And for somehow, some way, either purposefully or just ineptly, misestimate, underestimate the demand of this comic is astonishingly short sighted. I mean, this one hundred percent should be and could be their Spawn three hundred. Like, Batman Three Jokers number one. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Spawn Three Hundred in the sense of like this could take should take them back from being, uh, you know, hurting for attention and money and being at the top of the food chain again. But the right. fact that they're doing it this way has me worried that oh, this may actually end up backfiring in some weird way. Mm-hmm. Like, I see, I didn't know that. That even me that that upsets me because like I'm really excited about it and for like again, the fact that I had ordered a book and I've never had it happen before. Where a book yeah. was like, oh, you know, you were past FOC. We normally take these past, but with you know, oh, we're not gonna meet, be able to meet this. And it's weird because I won't name names, but it was a one of the bigger people who export and send out books physically. And like, oh yeah, I've never had a problem with them. Like, two, I have two companies I do it through, and I can say the two companies I use, so you, you can narrow it down are mycomicshop.com and things in the world. And the fact that they're both extremely reliable. And it was weird to be like, oh, that's odd. I spent so much money with my comic shop, dude. Yeah. I, I get They're it. both... <sighs> there's a growing market in it, but I will say, if you want if you want your books to be fastest, and it's kind of... I don't know if I can say this because we live in the same state as them, but my comic shop is probably the best on getting them quick, fast, into your door, and then 
like the best boxes. And uh, Things from Another World is also great. Run, also one run by a um, like virulent Trump supporter. So I am unhappy finding out that I've given up so much, given them so much money. Um, but also, they they really are the best areas of what they do. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I will say it's not shocking because a lot of the people who are clinging to physical seem to, for some reason, be in that market. Mm-hmm. But uh, so it's not the most shocking to me. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, they they do great they do great work for what they do. <laughs> However, yeah, I've never had an issue with uh, either of them at this, and the fact that that was an issue for it sounds like almost all of them mm-hmm. is sad. Like as, as from what I could tell, from what I was learning from my LCS, is that it was a retailer wide shortage, and this is not the first time in the last year or two that IDW has done that. But I, I think it is. I think it is the biggest that they've done and again from a completely uh just to add to this from a uh, we we, a completely unverified source apparently the one in 100 variant is uh attracting some uh um collector interest oh i believe which one that is in a world where uh punchline books for a minute were going like extreme you know extremely high for all of a couple months and it's still way too expensive. I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. But uh, the focus on the good news, the book itself is great. Oh, it's a fantastic comic. If you can get a copy, and that's another thing that I don't understand why the collector market is what it is, because you can easily get a copy uh, on Comixology. Yeah. Uh, well worth the read. It is an incredibly uh, well-told story. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, the story concept is by Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, and I want to say Tom Lyle had some input. Yeah. Or, not Tom Lyle, but Tom. Tom uh, yeah. And then. Yeah, and then uh, Eastman co-wrote with his uh, Tom Waltz. Sorry, yes. and then co- Kevin Eastman co-wrote with Tom Waltz, who those two have collaborated on a lot of the uh, current uh, IDW stories uh, coming out as well. Yeah. Um, let me see, because I'm forgetting the artist's name, and I feel bad about that. Uh, it's an incredibly pretty book. Oh Lord, where did I put my copy? It is, I'll, I'll van for all I do because it is incredibly. Please. Interesting, because it does capture what was one of the major influences of the Turtles. This is the most a Turtles book has ever felt like a Frank Miller book to me. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, I can I can absolutely get behind that. Uh, Not just because he has Ronan, which I just made. I just thought of that too. But. <laughs> no, that is it is one hundred percent intended to be a nod to that motherfucker. I literally just had that comic <laughs> book. But yeah, no, it's. Oh. Uh, it's you. I mentioned Body Count. For those who don't know, Body Count, a very weird book from the from the nineties of uh, Simon Bisley, one of my all time favorite artists. And was it Laird? Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Eastman. Eastman. Kevin Eastman. And uh, yeah, Eastman. That, that was back when that was back in his uh, either I want to run heavy metal days or I'll, holy God, I'm running heavy metal days. Yeah, and it is a book all about Casey Jones and Raphael that essentially is not like any other. Turtles book or connecting a Turtles book where it's just those two having a Frank Miller extreme 90s adventure where they're fighting a bunch of the gangs over uh, other gang girls and things like that. It is. Yeah. Okay. I love it, but it's a weird book. It's a goddamn weird book. And and as an intro fan, just to tell you how weird it is, I still haven't tried to get a copy because I did kind of flip through it once when I was a kid and it kind of, it honestly freaked me out. Uh, so layouts 
were by Kevin Eastman. Uh, Pencils and Inks by Esau and Isaac Escorza. Mm-hmm. Uh, page 39 art, the, the weird kind of flashback art uh, that had you confused, is Ben Bishop, who's been drawing the Turtles comic for a while. Okay. So that makes total sense. But yeah, it's just, it's a, it's kind of Marvel 2099-ish. Um, it's kind of... Um, it definitely has literally a, the book we were just talking about. It does have an element of Ronan and Dark Knight Returns. It has elements of both mm-hmm. of those for sure. Like, Absolutely. Um, New York appears to be fenced off from the rest of the world. Um, the crow under is the, the control. Main, crow is the main villain, apparently. Uh, well, it's it's uh, Karai's kids, so the Shredder's grandson. Yeah. Um, is uh, basically running New York with a, a, a high-tech version of the Foot Clan, and Michelangelo basically wants to get revenge for the death of his brothers. Um, uh, and again, yeah. since we're on, full, we're on full spoilers here, fails and initially decides to commit seppuku uh, yeah. to atone for his failure, but cannot bring himself to do it, um, is found by some street urchin with the last name of Jones... Who uh, and then Michelangelo wakes up and finds he is being uh, medically tended by an older battle scarred yet still wearing a yellow jacket. April O'Neil she knows what she looks best in there. That's all she it's does. It's true. Uh, which I'm so it's, it's a fashion icon. Someone who does love Casey Jones. I'm excited and hopeful he'll have a big role in the next issue, or at least a role. You know, I uh, figure I figure yeah. he's got to show up. I mean, yeah, he's got to be. I mean, you ha- you have to expect that, that girl is a daughter of Casey and April, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, they, they, those two have had all kinds of, of uh, you know, alt-reality children. Yeah. I will say there was one thing that uh, kind of, just a tiny bit disappointed me. My my backdoor pocket Ninja Turtle story for years has been the last Ninja Turtle story, and I wanted to tell the, the story of the uh, the last adventure of the four brothers together, and um, this feels like I am not probably not going to be able to do that. Yeah, you, you get um, to tell the second to last. Yeah, exactly, because this is the last uh, turtle. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can swallow my pride on that one because it's literally Eastman and Laird to to some extent this is the, coming back. Yeah, I'm gonna say this is the first book that they're back together on in like decades, right? Well, they did a, a collab cover for um I think it was like either a pinup or or a, a, a retailer center cover for uh, Ninja Turtles number one hundred. I think uh, mm-hmm. Layer did some inks over some of uh, Kevin Pencils or something like that they did they yeah. did an artistic collaboration. But this is apparently if I remember correctly from what uh, Kevin Eastman was telling at the story at the con, this is a story that he and Peter laid out decades ago. I believe it. Um, and, Again, this, and never told. So it, it's still it's still enough of their baby yeah. that Blair gets credit, but I don't think he was actually involved in the production of this particular issue. This does, again, reek of that early turtle in a good way. I mean, it's wearing its influences on its sleeve, but it never becomes a... Speaking of three jokers, it never becomes a pale shadow of what it's influenced by, but right. it, it keeps it firmly you you know that oh this is people who they love that european hardcore we mentioned biasly and a few people they love frank miller they love this shit and uh they put it in their own way because this i would bet money that this probably <laughs> you mentioned body count i would almost bet money that body count it kind of maybe spun out of this uh, for eastman at least of these ideas mm-hmm. 
this sounds like the same family tree of that. I was gonna, yeah. It, it has a it has a weird echo of body count without the. Um, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Without the absurdity of yeah. body count. Without the absurd again, you have when you have nineties Beisley at his top and Eastman at that weird stage of. Turtles are popular again, but not necessarily the turtles he wants to make. But other comics, he the kind of comics that he liked and the weird shit is popular. And so he's going to take these comics in that direction again. This weird, uh, this really weird story. It's like because there was body count, and there's that other one. I always get confused with body count, where it's like really bizarre, where they have like a lot of augmentations and weird. That shit. was when Eric Larson had Eric the Larson, yes. license, and uh, yeah, he had that. Um, they recently reprinted that as Teenage Ninja Turtles Urban Legends. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was a run yeah. of the Turtles books under uh, Eric Larson's um, okay. image helm. Yeah. Yeah, no, these uh it, it, the all this 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 would fit at home with that era of the Turtles, and I mean that in a great way. Because mm-hmm. it feels so different from the Turtles that we know like people like me grew up with, or people that have watched Rise or uh, the CGI one or the any of the cartoons that have come out in the past two right. decades. I will say though, as someone who has been reading the IDW series since issue one, yeah. this feel it feels very much at home in oh, that good. world with without being a book that you need to know that mythology in order to appreciate. I mean, there's there's absolutely no reference to the mutanimals. There's no reference to there's a reference to Karai, but Karai has kind of become a bigger character than just this one property or that one property that decided to introduce her. The idea of Shredder's daughter has is has pretty much permeated uh, Turtles media, um, but there's no Jenica. There's no reference to Jenica, um, who is a very important key part of the uh, IDW mythos right now. To the point where uh, you don't, you know, Michelangelo doesn't have her weapon along with his brothers. So we could, uh... while it well, it fits at home in that world, it doesn't necessarily have to be an extension of you don't have to know the idw mythology to enjoy it we can honestly also in a weird way put up uh similar in a weird way to old man logan yeah oh wow yeah it has that weird kind of everything you recognize but slightly distorted and you know great grandsons and grandsons and daughters and this one literally last ronin of the era you recognize running around trying to right the final wrongs and, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'm hoping there's no massive delays. I think the only, del- we've already had the one delay because it was originally, I think, supposed to be an August book. Yeah. And then it was supposed to be a late September book. And now it finally came up out in the last week of October. So, yeah, I think the series is back on track. God, I hope so. Uh, it's a five issue miniseries. Uh, each one is ridiculously oversized and, uh, priced to, to meet that oversized. I want to say, and I'm about to hold it up to the book just to make sure I'm not wrong. I, it's at least as large as, if not slightly larger than, nope. It is the exact same size as the Harleen comics, oh, okay. uh, from yeah, the, like the DC 40, black label, like 44 pages of content. Mm-hmm. Something like that because I know it's. I think it's forty six pages, but again, legitimately, the last few pages are just realtor exclusive variants. To the yeah. point, to the point and of absurdity. Some of them are really pretty. Yeah, I mean, some are pretty, but like, I saw the, the first page and there was like you know seven of them. Like, okay, you know that's that's cool. And I turned the page, 
and was talked. Oh, there's another page. Oh, there's another page. And then there's also two resale, retailer incentive and variant covers yep. uh, in the front of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have cover A, cover retailer incentive A, cover retailer incentive B, and convention exclusive Kevin Eastman uh, cover. We need to find a name yeah, for that. Uh, I, yeah, I, I was just saying, need to find a name for that one because I don't know how many quote unquote real conventions that he's going to. That'll be more <laughs> digital exclusive he's, he's, to ComicCon.com. I did see he was doing a, a signing at a comic book store somewhere near him on his Instagram. So that makes sense. A, that could, uh, you know, hey, go get go get that cover. He's who's the older one in the Eastman or Laird? Uh, no, Laird. Laird, Laird is actually. Okay. I want to say he's about ten years older than Eastman. Yeah, because he's yeah. I was gonna say there's a decent time skip between those two. Yeah, and you can like I watched that uh, Toys That Made Us, which oh, apparently man. neither one of them was happy with how that ended up turning which out. Which is but... kind of weird because I thought it ended in a like even if it's exaggerated, I thought it was a decent. You know, I like that. I mean, the episode was good. Yeah, I didn't. I I absolutely enjoyed it, and the fact that you know it showed them drawing together again at the end of it was great. And in fact, Eastman. Um, at the con that I saw him at, he showed a picture of uh, the aftermath of that, which was he and Peter went and got ice cream after and, and, sh- and snapped a selfie. Yeah, it was really sweet. Well, it's it's um, weird that their biggest gripe with the episode seems to be, well, they act like they got together. We had been slowly reforming by ourselves, you know, beforehand. Like, that's your biggest gripe, man. Come on. Yeah. That, that's all I've heard. It could be more, but that's the main thing I've heard about it. Well, the, the, the thing Kevin got kind of defensive. He was like, "People like to say that we that we stopped being friends. We never stopped being friends. He's, you know, we still like each other." Uh, but there was definitely it's, there was there, there was there was always that point where Kevin sold out and Peter didn't. And there was and there always you could tell there was a there was a point of contention because Kevin cashed out and Peter felt like he had to, you know go alone on the franchise for longer than I think he was comfortable, which is why he ultimately sold to Nickelodeon. Um, and he, 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 while, while they may have never hated each other the way some people made, you know, portrayed it, I definitely feel like there was, there was always that little simmering, you left me with holding the bag here yeah, during the dark the, times. The fact that he had a, was proud of a selfie with someone, it's like, yeah, if you were close with people then uh, you probably wouldn't have one selfie for the past 30 years a friendship mm-hmm. when before that you guys were together daily yeah that's uh but you know what water under the bridge yeah i'm, I'm just happy that my two heroes are both sweet old dudes who mm-hmm. are uh, incredibly kind and gracious i say that i haven't met peter laird but apparently he really is uh having met kevin eastman you know that phrase uh never meet your heroes uh, that that person who said that did not have Kevin Eastman for a hero. That guy's a fucking mensch. I love him. Yeah, there's. I've been very lucky to meet a, a few of mine. There are, there are, there are definitely assholes out there, but I've uh, been very lucky. And I think the key is never meet heroes when they're like mid tier. I don't know what it is about like mid tier people who are you know never mid tier people who feel like could have been's always seem a bit more assholeish. Yeah. I will say apparently um, Ed McGinnis is kind of a dick. He was he was not a nice guy to uh, my artist, Derek, when we went to a show. But I, the, the three, like, big genuine heroes that I've, I've had the genuine pleasure to meet, Chris Claremont, Kevin Eastman, and Derek Robertson, are also, like, the three best comic con experience I've ever had. Oh, that is awesome. And that's very cool. Yeah, no, I'm very lucky. Most of mine are similar where I haven't... Well, in the comics world, if we're talking about comics especially, it's like, 
my so far the people I've met, whether it be Greg Pulo or Snyder, uh, though they were extremely extremely cool. Jacques was a you know, Becky Scott Snyder and Tom King were both super crazy nice guys. Yeah, no, there's been several people that have been beyond sweet, beyond nice, have been beyond amazing. Uh, Jacques, Becky Cloonan, they're near the top of that too for me. They're all mm-hmm. all very, very cool, very sweet people. So I'm very happy to say that. But yeah, no, this book, I again, despite that, I, the price point is a stiff one, but I would say it is worth it if you're. It's not. It's about the same price as Three Jokers, and if you're wanting to spend money on one eight to ten dollar book this month, please pick this over Three Jokers. <laughs> I'll say that. In- Indeed, yeah. Um, I, I definitely do not regret my purchase. I do kind of regret uh, supporting IDW all these years because apparently they are into some less than spectacular business practices with uh, comics retailers, and that's really that's really upsetting. Yeah. Uh, real quick, I'm going to do a quick, what am I call lightning round shout-out to a bunch of books I know you haven't read or picked up or are or Kickstarters that are coming out. So really quick, uh, Donnie Cates, uh, surprise dropped the one you feed a book that's loosely connected to God country. It's a name your own price book right now through panel syndicate. Uh, go pick it up. It's, uh, you know, you can get it for technically for free, but you can get it for a dollar. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can absolutely, um, get it for free. Yep. That's what panel syndicate's all about. And, yep. uh, you, you really should support it. But also if you don't want to, yeah, I yep. admit, I, I, when uh, Panel Syndicate first started, I I got a free copy of The Private Eye Number One, uh, but I also I bought the eventual hardcover when it came out, so mm-hmm. I, I felt like I uh, rectified myself. It's fair. Uh, I would say go go check it out. It's really good. Connected to God Country, a uh, very interesting Donny Cates book. It's very intriguing, much like Private Eye, where this is a book that really could have gone a million places, so, and I think it was originally going to be an image book. I could have sworn I heard something about that, but I could be wrong too. Uh, however, well worth money. Well, well, definitely worth your money when it could be free. It could be a dollar. It could be a hundred dollars. It's up to you. Uh, go pick exactly that out. Right, yeah. uh, Kickstarter. I think I mentioned before a couple, but uh, Bad Trucker is coming or Mother Trucker. Sorry, Mother Trucker is coming out. Uh, go. They've hit their funding. Go check them out. Uh, Simon Bisley has a really cool Kickstarter that's hit its funding. Uh, Los Manos Del Destano has hit its Kickstarter. Of course, you have uh, Snyder's and Tony Daniels already ended. But I know they're about to open up for people who didn't do it. A couple of uh, a couple of options for Nocturna or Noctera. They changed the name at some point. There's there's a shit ton of great Kickstarters right now and great things coming out. Tim Seeley's got a uh, hack slash omnibus yes. Kickstarter going that I'm probably going to end up backing once the uh, month rolls over and I get a new paycheck because yeah. the um, even just the uh, uh, complete. Omnibus digital PDF is like fifteen bucks, and you know, like you know, for for fifteen to have a, a PDF that I actually own a physical, a digital copy of, that's actually worth it to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I even despite I do I, my love hate relationship with Tim Sealer right now as an individual, I still uh, I do love Hackslash and I do love a lot of his earlier stuff. I do feel like he kind of went a little bit off the rails here lately as far as quality-wise. I don't know what's happened with him personally, but it seems like ever since Revival ended, he's kind of been all over the place. Yeah, man, I miss Revival. Revival is the best horror comic of the 2010s, and I will die on that hill. It's up there. I would, I would gladly put it up there. It is... that I Honestly, it's probably 
for me, number two behind Witches, but that's also Snyder and that's your proclivity, Josh. man. Yeah. yeah. So I can. I it's hard hard to it's hard to for me to pick anything else, but yeah, though it's definitely it's a great 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 book. There's tons of great Kickstarter. We'll also mention in uh, new books came out. Uh, heavy number two, Max Bemis through Vault. Uh, it's still very very good. Giga number one came out. Very excited about that one. It was uh, that was Star's pick of the week. My yeah. local comic shop. Their their pick of the week book. Vault is making a lot of headway, and I'm excited because they put out some great content, and it I loved it. It's essentially. Uh, I'm gonna let you know a secret. Yes. My um, my current professional goal is to get uh, published by Vault Comics. I, I think that's entirely possible, to be honest. I think they have a great lineup and keep on adding more. Uh, Giga, Giga number one's incredible. Uh, I'm very much hooked on it so far. I'm, I want more of it now. I won't get it for a little bit, but uh, it was amazing. The death metal tie-ins continue to be great. There is a Department of Truth was also... It's also really great. Uh, it continues to be another incredible one. Tinian or Tinian uh, is a incredible writer. I will say I read Batman 101, and it was not bad. It uh, It's kind of resetting the structure of everything. So maybe Batman can become, what, like a really good book again? Uh, last round. Let me Fingers look crossed. Yeah, I hope. Hope so. Uh, Dracula Motherfucker I read recently, too. That was also extremely oh, good. Really good things about that one. Yeah, it's, it's very, very, very fun. So that's new Spawn continues to be Spawn, and I like Spawn. So there's that. Uh, but I, I want to get all the way because we do have an, another major topic. Yes, and um, I hate to say this, we got kind of keep this one a little shorter. Yeah, uh, just got a text from my wife uh, who has not been feeling well. Uh, just got a text from her that she is running a fever. So okay, yeah, um, we we'll, we we'll, I don't, we'll, don't want to cut us off. No, but, uh, I understand. We will definitely we'll make this short because we'll, okay. we'll kind of focus on the newer stuff. We uh, so Exoswords, we've been loving the crossover. I I especially have uh, not especially us two, but just. I did not expect to get essentially an apocalypse-focused event title, so right. I've been extra excited. We are now halfway through. We uh, really quick. We talked off. Like, did you ever get to finish last week's? Book? Yes, I am completely caught up on Exoswords, so, and I don't have the hate for Excalibur. You do really, that. man. Me and Daniel were talking all day about that yesterday, and he's a team supporter. <laughs> He's a Teeny Howard supporter, and yeah, no, I hated it. I don't. Everyone just felt out of character and was weird, and I, I don't know. That's the only. There has been one issue that I, yeah, I hated. I'm not going to make any bones about. It. I did not enjoy Excalibur. It was. Uh, I didn't hate it. Um, it's uh, it was one of the weaker issues of the crossover. Um, I uh, think it, it made more sense again, and this is something we've kind of talked about. Now that I've read it, I can confirm it does make more sense if you've been keeping up with Excalibur, because then you you know who the uh, the weird ass Excalibur Captain Britain Corps is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a. I don't. I don't. I, I feel like it's, it did a good job of setting out the playing field of Otherworld. You know, keeping. Um, that side of this crossover going. It's, to me, it had too much of what I I would call the MCU humor problem, where like after every serious moment, there was a weird dialogue joke that didn't seem like it was like, oh, we don't need that here. Especially with Madrox, or what's his name? King, is it King Madrox? No, uh, you're uh, thinking of uh, King Jamie Braddock. Yeah, Braddock, King Jamie. I uh, like, 
they would say that he would just say some ridiculous, stupid shit that was like trying to be funny, but it was all like, why? Come on, man. Just because Jamie Braddock is crazy. I know, but that's how he's written. He's, he he's, is crazy. He's written like a, well, he's a crazy character. So, of course, he's going to, every time we say something, he's going to have some crazy quip. I was like, yep. we don't, I don't need that. And then also, I don't think Tinny knows the difference between writing a, uh, an upper class uppity bitch that Saturnine seems to be instead of just a Karen. <laughs> because Saturnine feels that totally different. Yeah, she feels totally different in this book than every other book. Like, there's a subtle What's difference. What's funny, though, is that she's, she's co-writing the, the big Keystone books. Because she, she co-wrote uh, Stasis, and I'm pretty sure she co-wrote Creation. She did. Which means she, she should have an idea of how Saturnine sounds, because Hickman is co-writing those you books would, with her. You would think so, but for some reason, she, even if... I will say, even if people out there, if you like Scalper, that's fine. It's just my personal opinion and preference. However, there's no denying that she just reads like very different in that book compared to this book, compared to Stasis or the other ones. Uh, and also, Hickman is very focused on the apocalypse element, and I again very excited about that. The my one. See, other, it's funny you say that. Oh, go ahead. I say my one other gripe with the book. Before we get too much into it, is I kind of hate the cop out that uh, Gorgon is. Seem to be two swords. Yeah, that's definitely something that they have. It, it feels like they are kind of trying to not hide, but it's definitely being played interestingly. And he also that just, Gorgon is both grass cutter and god killer. He also just like walked up. He didn't even get like a cool introduction issue. He just like, man, he he literally basically said, "Funny how my swords are two, right?" Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> Which also. The obvious thing, and I'm, maybe it'll tie in, but also where the tournament starts next issue, it seems like. Well, what the fuck was with the Cerebro Sword? That's an excellent question. Maybe that's like the hidden sword that uh, we, maybe turns the battle around. I don't know, because maybe it's not that Grasscutter and Godkiller count as two separate swords. Maybe they're actually just the one. Well, we have, we'll see. Yeah, because like Kid Omega and uh, plain old generic Russian mutant dude over in X-Force... Last time we saw them, they had Cerebro Sword. And it's it's going to be really weird if Professor X just made another sword that happens to be out there. Right, that has no tie-in to the, uh, to the sword's event. That yeah. would be actually kind of hilarious. Um, my problem with, with Stasis, I, uh, man, I, between X-Men 13 leading directly into Stasis of, like, here is a bunch of exposition, and then here is a bunch of exposition yeah it just felt like way too much exposition drop in the middle of the story when the when things seem to be coalescing and coming together which is admittedly kind of a hickman thing it had a it, very it, it happened in his avengers run it happened in his fantastic four stuff that's 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 his you know modus operandi i should yeah. be used to it by now it has a very anime element to it of oh we're about to start this giant tournament but before we do we all have to have dinner together Right, yeah. Okay, and also, I don't know why, going back, like, Gorgon and Gorgon, Wolverine and Apocalypse, just getting really pissed off at their tarot cards. I was like, I, I'm kind of a sad on that one, where Apocalypse, man, you've been around forever. You didn't get that bad, because she basically placed a picture of you and your wife on your bed? Who, yes, you think is dead. Uh, but that's a minor, that, minor thing. Story-wise, that set up a uh, the reveal that you know, Genesis is very much alive, yep. and also very clearly hates him mm -hmm. um 
Wolverine shredding his card where he's being choked out by Summoner. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. He's, he's kind of a pissy dude. And we Gordon just refers to his card as ridiculous. And I'm pretty sure it's because, uh, much as Tarot points out in the, the readings, uh, his card is hidden. We don't actually see, we, and we are forced to assume that his card is two backs, at least at the moment. That's true. That's, uh, that's all very fair. I'm, again, I'm loving it. I'm loving where it's going. I'm, uh, it was disappointing I only have one book this week because I've gotten used to having, even though it was double size, I'm used to having a lot of content. And uh, well, I was, I was really happy at the price point, weirdly, because it was only four ninety nine. Yeah, Creation six ninety nine, and I really thought that the uh, the three like Keystone books, Creation, Stasis, and whatever the third one's going to be when this ends, the part twenty two, were going to be six ninety nine books. But it was nice for this one to be four ninety nine. I assume the last one's still going to be six ninety nine because Marvel. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, and of course, you know, the, uh, there have been other just random issues in this crossover that have been double sized in four ninety nine. But you're, one thing it's not lacking for is story. Every yeah. issue, you're you're getting another piece I, of the puzzle. Every issue, we build, you're building the mythology of this story together. One thing that is constantly turning the line for me, I don't know how I feel entirely about it. They do keep adding on to Otherworld and this greater, almost Game of Thrones game, but to a point where it's getting a little bit like. Do we need all that? Because now it's become beyond just these ten. Now there are councils for all these other different species on presumably different either dimensions or planets that are meeting. With well, this, that that is that is the Council of Otherworld, though. That's that's all the. It's the thing is what it's supposed to be is a battle between the representatives Krakoa and Arako or Okara. I yeah, remember exactly which one. But it's they. That's the actual battle, but the other people that are involved are all the other councils of Otherworld, because Otherworld isn't a united front. Um, I, if I've learned anything from the X-Men in the recent, did I say recent, past decade, I just hate everything with Otherworld, I think. <laughs> it's weird, it's confusing, and not like an interesting way. Again, uh, you want to go back to earlier in this podcast, it's all about Alan Moore, because Alan Moore brought all that stuff into the Captain Britain mythos. Yeah, but that's also Alan Moore. We go back to again. There are like two people on the planet that have a card pass to write either Alan Moore or Grant Morrison stories, and mm-hmm. even Hickman is not one of them. Yeah, and it's, it's a very unique talent to do it. Yep. In my book, I think Gerard Way and Neil Gaiman have that card. I don't know if anyone else does for me right now. Uh, Tom King had it. He lost. I think. It. I, think, he lost he, I it. think he turned it in. Yeah. Yeah. He he, he he got too many points on it and had to yeah. had to turn it in. He 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 was riding that thin line, and I feel like he, uh, between heroes now Rorschach, it has uh, gone straight into. Nope. Take take that away. Yep. Yeah. I I don't know because everything about it, it just it went from I like the idea of just Araco or and Krakoa fighting, and and Araco having these connections to this other weird world. I don't. Well, I don't know if I feel about. Oh, now there are like in now there are all of other worlds. Different groups are somehow loosely watching or tangentially involved in some weird way. And I still, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting thing where I, I get because again because it goes back to I get the idea of Araco and Krakoa want to be one again, but they're they have two warring factions on each. Mm-hmm. It's simple, but now it's getting into that part of it where I'm like I don't know. Also, we haven't mentioned some of the, the – t- I, I almost wish 
I'm glad we didn't, but part of me wishes we almost would have got a death metal or metal type of backstory that focused more on all the tin bearers for Arrakis. It's so funny you say that because that was the part of a stasis where I was just like, I, I didn't need to know these guys' deal, honestly. I, I feel like to. I didn't. I love, I think Daniel, too, uh, what's his name, Prog? The big alligator. Prog or Pog. Yeah, the big alligator the, man with like two big arms and two arms. little arms. And it's a sword eerily similar to Apocalypse's. Everyone's got a sword like Apocalypse. He's got one like Apocalypse. Genesis has one like Apocalypse. They love that sword. Yeah, it's very it's very um, Egyptian side like. It is. Um, so to promote an entirely other podcast that has nothing to do with us, uh, House to Astonish, Paul O'Brien uh, is doing some tremendous annotations of all the X-Men comics right now. He's been yeah. doing them since uh, House of X, uh, Powers of Ten came out. Um, his annotations have been absolutely invaluable uh, during this crossover, especially for an issue like this, which introduces a bunch of new characters um, or characters we've only seen once or twice before. Uh, it's HowStoAstonish.com. Uh, it's the x-axis is what it posts under. So if you go there and it's not uh, at the top of the feed, it's pretty easy to find. Um, highly, highly recommended if you have any kind of you know story questions about what's going on. Uh, because admittedly, the X-Men universe is uh, pretty insular and complicated at the best of times. And right now it uh, definitely seems to be maintaining that trend. Um, I've been – pretty addicted to his annotations i uh would absolutely recommend checking those out um for yourself yeah no though uh i think that would be a good thing because it does introduce like hitman loves playing with a lot of very specific elements and as much as i get excited because i'll recognize that ah like this random rise of apocalypse apocalypse versus dracula weird lore from here or there but again i wanted to ask what what is because I've read Apocalypse versus Dracula and I don't remember any of this being. From it's that. Mo- mostly just the idea of like his original clan and original kids and some of that. It's okay. very minute stuff that's like hinted at I, more I than can anything. See, I can see the tendons of Rise of Apocalypse. Yeah, but I was not seeing the Apocalypse Dracula stuff. But that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's little, little bitty things, and that's why I love that he's exploring those. Uh, we're getting that weird, the weird territory. Also, this is a side note. Who's not a mutant on the X-Men team that Apocalypse keeps talking about? Uh, oh, shit. Um, I knew this. I'd have to... Let me look at the issue real quick, because I know this. Because he kept saying we're mostly all mutants. I kept trying to figure out wait, which one's not a mutant. Uh, he might just be talking about Warlock. Maybe. Uh, as Doug's sword. Um, <laughs> because... I was trying to think who, who is and who isn't. Like every, everybody, and again, maybe Warlock. Yeah. Now that I'm looking at it again, I think. Oh no, no, sorry. Uh, Captain Avalon uh, is actually not a mutant. Oh, uh, okay. Cap- Captain Britain's not a mutant. Betsy is. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. That would make Brian again other world. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. The big blinds. Yeah, no. Brian Brian Braddock's a human. Betsy Braddock's a mutant. They are twins, but he did not get an active mutant gene. He is a super. He is a hero because he chose the amulet of might over the sword of right. Uh, and Vince uh, Britton. I do really like that Jamie continues to wear uh, Mister Sinister's cape. Yeah, that's delightful. Uh, all, but also, I know it'll come back. However, Marat or what book with the Hellions? Hellions. Uh, clearly fucked up, not 
be like stopping this tournament before it began because they all got their swords and everything, and <clears throat> it's not even kind of mentioned. That was my my one minor, my one little bitty, bitty thing. I'm sure it'll pop up again, but also. Oh yeah, there's at least one more issue of Hellions in this crossover. So yeah, for we sure. are we already knew that it wasn't going to happen because clearly they're not going to have this event. And then like, oh no, the Hellions actually stopped it. Yeah, but no, it's, it's definitely the uh, the Red Skies tie-in of this uh, particular crossover. My one thing is, I could think maybe one of them does be able, you know, be able to since they're already in that in in other world, already there. Maybe one of them could be another sealed uh, or sword wielder. Maybe I guess you could throw Psylocke in there. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know how you'd explain. Well, you, you've already got Captain Britain, Betsy Braddock. Yeah. You know, she's she's both wielding the Citadel of Light Sword, but she also has her psychic katana. So if you wanted to pull Kawana into that as well, yeah, uh, that's definitely possible. Uh, yeah, the X the X Men definitely have they they have no shortage of swords even before we is had it? to make a few up this crossover. It is kind of a shame that Silver Samurai is not involved in this, knowing Gorgon got to be in this bitch. Yeah, <laughs> and he was right. I think. Right. Uh, I think and he, if he's if he's like, one, and if Gorgon's two, I'm like you could have given Silver Samurai that one. <laughs> I feel like Hickman has a soft spot for Gorgon because he used him in Secret Warriors. He must because that is a weird pool. Like that's a very specific pool of a character. Mm-hmm. Well, also he had he made the very specific point in the the Powers of Ten issue six of Wolverine and Gorgon, you know, more or less making amends. That was a that was a big important thing for him. So yeah. he uh, he has a crush on Gorgon, you know. He must. Uh, it's, it's a very platonic man crush, but I, I really feel like uh, Gorgon is his guy. He must be because I have not seen Gorgon get this much love since. Maybe Miller, maybe uh, Mark Miller, maybe right. Maybe well, that's that was who created him. He's a Mark yeah. Miller character, yeah, from Enemy of the State. Who well, I was trying died to think of, at the end of Enemy of the State. Exactly. I was then, trying to think of if I was trying to think what other stories he was in. That he, he was resurrected out. by the hand in Secret Warriors. Okay, that would make sense then. Yeah. Yeah. No. So ever since ever since uh, Mark Miller was done with him, Hickman has taken that ball and ran. It's a weird one. It's a very specific one. But yeah, no, cause I'm uh, I'm hoping there's some weird twist. My only my only concern is again this whole tournament's supposed to take place in a short amount of time, and we have the sword. And the only other sword we know is the Rebro sword, and that would be you would think it'd have to be Kid Omega, which I would love. It, but but it, it could be Mikhail Rasputin. Yeah, that's a boring choice, so. Yeah, but he was used in the 12th, and that's the story you love, as we established last episode. He's not the reason why, though. Again, I couldn't remember the man. <laughs> I couldn't even remember the man's name when he popped up into X-Force. So he clearly did not make a very great impression of me, ever. Totally fair. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's there. Yeah, no, uh, X-Force continues to be one of the best crossovers in the modern era as far as just... There hasn't been, I mean, again, I didn't like Excalibur, but there hasn't been, outside of that for me, there hasn't been a single issue I've regretted reading or didn't, or, you know, felt bad reading. The, my only thing is, this is 100%, yeah, you have to buy every book and read in order, which I, for all the complaints people have about that, I feel like this is the only book to do that in a very long time. Yeah, I can't remember the last, uh, the, at least as far as I can remember the last X crossover 
that did that. What what mostly happens with stuff like this is you have the main series, you have the the main tie-in series, like just as a for instance, uh, Absolute Carnage. You had yeah. the Absolute Carnage series. You really did have to read the Venom issues to keep up with that, which again makes total sense. But everything else was just you know random throw it at the wall tie-ins to see if you can make more money same thing with uh empire which thankfully got a lot of its science cut short because of covid and ended up being a stronger event because of it uh same thing with um what did empire end up i'm sorry what did empire end up doing not much of anything as far as i can tell um i have i've only read the first three issues but they are now showing up on marvel unlimited weekly so i'm just gonna instead of reading them on my phone uh, borrowed from a friend's comicsology i'm just gonna read them there uh, apparently it just told a really good classic 70s style avengers story written by al ewing um the big impact thing i think was uh she hulk died again and was resurrected again and this time come came back with some knowledge of the green door which has been you know a high a highly important focal point of ewing's immortal hulk run yes which uh i of course love and speak highly of and immortal she hulk his one shot dealing with the fallout of that i think i spoke on a recent podcast yeah. was uh tremendous and spectacular and uh, great on almost every level so uh but as far as you know universe impacting story impact i think uh much like war of the realms before it it got short shifted because null is coming so we've got to clear the deck for king and black yeah. as opposed to letting this uh you know stake out and shake itself out uh the same way maximum carnage kind of upended plans for war of the realms Interesting, because, yeah, I will say, because I know that they tie in next week with uh, with Venom, where it's like Web of Venom, Empire's End, or something, and so I don't know, I, I guess Null, Interesting. Null just killed them all or something? I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is I'm looking forward to finishing it up on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, it's out Ewing doing an event, and I, while I didn't buy it as it was coming out, uh, every issue I've read of it so far that Al Ewing wrote was... Uh, as, as, as I mentioned on a previous podcast, if, if Death Metal is the Slayer concert of comics, then Empire is the uh, New York Philharmonic Orchestra concert. Free. Kind of dull, kind of what you were expecting, but very, very, very well done for what it is. True, yeah, although not to be this person. However, based on sales, it might be your local player's interpretation <laughs> of the new it, York. It, it might be the uh, the Lyso Love Symphony Orchestra yeah. performance. <laughs> I, uh, That's fair. That's man. fair. It is weird that Marvel is just this since COVID just and we got nothing but events, baby. We got you got Empire, we got Exoswords, and we got King and Black. If you don't like those, get the fuck out. Uh, Daredevil is still very good. Um, the most recent issue of that uh, definitely uh, renewed my faith in Zdarsky. The most, the last nice. couple issues, in fact. Um, after the Daredevil turns himself in story uh, that ended issue, I want to say twenty, ended the first big like block story of his run, like the first act essentially. It feels like uh, it, it definitely started to feel like for about an issue uh, we were going to retread some uh, Brian Bendis um, at Brubaker territory. Yeah. Uh, he's definitely recently turned that on its head. Um, 
bringing back a major supporting character from the Mark Wade run has helped. Um, I, I should not have doubted Zdarsky. Uh, he continues to make Daredevil a comic that is absolutely out of the park. And okay, uh, also uh, we're you know hot shots, uh, lightning round, Incredible Hulk number thirty, or excuse me, Immortal Hulk number thirty nine nice. was fucking gut wrenching. Uh, yeah, um, I don't. It's it's it'd be hard to describe it without spoiling it, and also the emotional impact's not there if you haven't been reading. I don't think, but the leaders' machinations up to this point have come to fruition. Uh, you learn something incredibly important about the kind of the original Hulk, the dumb Hulk con- uh, concept. Um, you learn something important about. Devil Hulk, it's uh, man. I just, I've I've spent this entire podcast ever since the Mortal Hulk came out talking about how great a Mortal Hulk is. So just go read the damn book. I can't. Uh, yeah. I can't think of any more surprises. I say it's been two years of uh, love from you on that. Mm-hmm. God, two. We think it's two years because again, the number, we always talk about it, but the amount of comics that come out in two year period is shocking. Because yeah, it's a it's it's a mostly twicely monthly book. Yeah. Considering Ed Bennett draws the vast majority of it, it's it's not one of those that has a uh, cyclical uh, artistic creative team. Ed Bennett draws the uh, the majority of issues, so yeah, um, that's really tremendous. It's a huge, amazing long run. But yeah, no, you mentioned it. We've got uh, coming up. Next week we have more Exosaur. Next week is actually a fucking massive week. I say I can't say just Exosaur because there's a ton of shit next week. Also, next week is the skip week. I've got a. I, oh, uh, sorry. I'll be having a signing at uh, unless COVID completely strips this from me. Uh, we will be doing a COVID safe masks and social distancing signing at my LCS for uh, Space is Awful issue three nice. and my new children's book on Saturday. So I will not be able to record. It is definitely a skip week next week. No problem. Any any word on Space is Awful on Comicsology? Well, okay, so I'm going to be completely upfront with everyone. I submitted the file, and when I did, I forgot to reattach the cover that I'd unattached to do as the preview image. And I got a notification saying that it was tentatively accepted. However, I had to submit a file with a cover um, for the comic, not just a cover for the preview image. I did that last Friday, and I still haven't heard back from them that the book has been uh, received. I thought I was going to get that earlier this week. Still hasn't happened. Hopefully I'll get some kind of notification tomorrow. Uh, and if that's the case, it should hopefully be out in a, in a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, maybe maybe as early as the first Wednesday of November. Oh, that'd be awesome. But soon. It should be soon. Oh, fuck yeah, no. All right, because I'll... Probably how I read touch you in person, how I read, how I get the third issue. So I'm uh, totally excited, excited to see it. Uh, quick behind the scenes thing, just for people like me who normally like supporting artists. Do you get? How to put? Do you make more money off a digital comic or a physical comic right now? Neither. <laughs> um, basically, any money we make physically gets reinvested in reprinting books for the most part. Okay. Um, digital comics, we uh, it's it's a it's a decent setup. Um, it, we we ask for ninety nine cents an issue digitally. Um, Fifty cents of that 
is ours and then we split it. So we, we make a, a solid quarter for every issue of space we sell uh, digitally. Um, okay. Money is not the reason we do it. Oh, I know. I just want to know, like, what's the, <laughs> what is the quickest way to support you? For those listening, what's the easiest way to support you? Uh, and the continuing uh, making much, much of like the books. with this podcast, uh, tell tell people about it. Um, you know, read it on Comicsology. Let other people know that it's available. What you thought of it. Leave uh, starred reviews on Comicsology. If you're interested in getting physical copies, hit me up on uh, any of our um, social media places. We're about to go over, and I can get you physical copies sent out. Um, like I say, any any. Physical money we make off physical copies basically gets reinvested into printing physical copies, uh, digital copies. We don't really make enough to do that, so it is just kind of a nice little, you know, few dollar bonus at the end of the month. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to, to the the best way to support is to word of mouth and uh, try to get people to read the book. Hell yeah! Well, where can they find you to uh, find this content? It's in most of the same places you can find us for this content as well. Um, you can hit us up on our email, uh, blahblahpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash blahblahpodcast. You can find us on Twitter where I am at blahblahpod. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at hellhoundf5. And on Instagram, I am slightly different. I am blah, blah, podcast on Twitter. Um, yeah, if you're interested in my work, I super appreciate it. Um, find myself, uh, Space is Awful is available. The first two issues are right now on Comixology, yes. 99 cents an issue. Issue three will be there shortly. Uh, response has been uh, pretty positive. Um, my children's books are available. I have two uh, horror-related children's books, Monster the Monster and the sequel, Shmost the Ghost, which just came out. Um, the, also, very positive reviews on those coming out so far. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have any music you're working on that you would like to promote since I'm being all promoting? <laughs> I've got stuff I'm working on. Uh, right now, I'm in the middle of trying to force myself to take a break because drawing and drumming every day. Uh, since COVID was a great thing to do, and I've mentioned it before off air, but because COVID's going on, I have beaten the fuck out of my hands with just everything I do from uh, from drawing and drumming and wrestling training. I was like, oh, my hands are really sore and the muscles are really sore. Ooh, I haven't taken a break in a long time, so I'm right now on a forced like week long break to uh, get that back and under yet control. You keep posting art. Uh, Emoji of chin scratching. Yeah, there's a there's a couple. I, I I say a week. It's it's been about two three days maybe. And uh, again, I know I say this every podcast, but I am so impressed at the quality of your art and how it is improving. Oh, thank uh, you! Literally every picture. You're you're again. You're still you're finding your voice. Um, I can see where your references are coming from, but that's slowly fading. Uh, you are absolutely. Um, growing and discovering yourself as an artist and it is uh, a genuine pleasure to see happening uh, over, the, uh, over the internet uh, i should say for those who uh on, it's all on instagram it's the past several weeks have mostly just been a bunch of different wrestling ones uh that's most of what it's been so if you don't like wrestling i'm sorry uh <laughs> i go in uh, phases of my love so sometimes i'll be heavy heavily on music sometimes I'll be heavily on wrestling sometimes i'll be heavily on different comic characters we're firmly in wrestling right now for the most part and a couple of music that sneaks its way in there but 
that's about it. Yeah, no, I've uh, got a few things I'm working on. We'll see again in the COVID world when is the best time to do it. I may, I may go back to try to release a song a week for a little bit before the end of the year. So I did that at the beginning of COVID. Hopefully, mm-hmm. try to do that again because I've got a few ideas I haven't explored too much, and maybe I can turn that into another six or seven weeks of music. We shall see. That's uh, coming up, but then so are the holidays, and that makes everything more interesting. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, I do want to say, out there, because it's our new feed, please, 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 if you like what you have heard please. here, or if you like anything you hear on Respawn, on Dangerous Humans, or anything what we do, share, 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 share. I don't care if you just share it on Twitter without any context. I don't care if you share it on Facebook without any context. If you put it on Reddit, if you put it anywhere at all, we will thank you. We love hearing from you, too. Let us know what was your favorite book of the week. What book are you most looking forward to? And also, what do you think of Mix of Swords? And what do you think of Three Jokers? Did you hate Three Jokers like I did? Did you love it? I would, I would really like to know why if you did. If you're not liking Mix yeah, of Swords, I'd I'm like so to know, curious. too. Yeah, we, we love hearing different opinions and all opinions. We've got, a few, like you mentioned, next week is going to be a skip week. And then after that, we uh, will probably get back on comics is by that point there will be four or five more issues of exosaurus to talk about it's true yeah i think uh, i think i plotted it out next week's gonna be a skip week a uh, week after that is um gonna be a blah blah and the week after that has to be a respawn so uh, you'll get a, you'll get a little bit of all of us in the next three weeks or so so Hell yeah. um thank you all so much for listening uh this has been uh a really super fun episode to do i don't know why it's just been a, a real joy it has uh, all, all episodes are joy, but this has been particularly uh, delightful. So, uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye, everybody.